It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I'm here as always with my partner in feminism, Zerlina Maxwell. But we are joined right now by David Yee, author of Pretty Boys, Legendary Icons Who Redefined Beauty and How to Glow Up Too. David, thank you so much for joining us and happy book day. Thank you so much. I dare you to kind of say that three times quickly, that entire title. (laughs) (laughs) It's very long, I know, but... But thank you so much. It's crazy to think that Pretty Boys was this idea a few years ago, and then it was two years, and now it's birthed into the world. It it feels strange, but exciting. No, the the book thing really does feel strange. You're like, are people going to like it? And then you're out doing promotion, and I'm like, I'm not a singer. I don't understand what this is. It's very, very um, odd, the whole, uh, I guess production of promotion yes is the way to describe it right because it is a production um I was so excited um to chat not just because of the book but also because of good light and I went down into all of the uh photos and I just I was like this (laughs) well number one you have good lighting right now I just should note it um for the radio audience at home that can't fully fully get that um but but I actually want to start there because I think that it's all connected to what you're doing with the book in that you wanted to create a space and a product um, that just destroys the idea that genders are binary and that there's skincare for men and skincare for women. And that that seems silly because we're all people. So I want to talk about just sort of just destroying the the way the business of like cosmetics and beauty was, was doing it up to this, up to this point and you exist now. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for, you know, bringing up good light. This was my passion project for so long ago. I mean, growing up in Colorado Springs, Colorado, where I am now, um, I wrote the book and I got stuck here from the pandemic. I never felt visible. I never felt seen as a lone Asian American. And I think that that really had an impact on who I am as a journalist, because I've always wanted to uplift people and through storytelling, change the narrative around who belongs and who doesn't. And at a young age, I knew that I would never be fully embraced by, you know, my white peers or in the system of white supremacy. And so I was like, uh, I don't want to be white. I love being Korean, but I don't see myself in the media. I don't see myself in the beauty industry. What can I do to change that? And so my entire life has been advocating for change. You know, I, I left to New York City at 22 to be a journalist. And for that decade, all of my stories were about humanity and people who probably needed to be seen and felt like me that and, and we're invisible. And, you know, just uh, about five years ago, I, I left my full-time job to start Very Good Light with the idea that I wanted to redefine masculinity. And I've never felt like I totally belonged. And my masculinity meant something different because I was Korean. And I wanted to question why we've been conditioned as people, why we've been conditioned as men to feel that we have to be a part of this binary and the roles. And it was so strange to me, especially when it comes to beauty. 
and like men's grooming. It's not called men's beauty. It's called grooming because of the fragility of, of men. And when I was looking at it, I was like, first of all, I need to change the narrative around this. This is my mission. Now I want more inclusivity in the beauty space because we're seeing, and we're seeing this today too. Well, I, I, I almost feel as if the conglomerates, they capitalize on disenfranchised folks and their pain for their gain. And that to me mm-hmm. felt really uncomfortable because people were like lauding these brands and saying, oh my gosh, there's so many black or, you know, Latinx or indigenous or Asian models. This is so diverse. And I'm like, but who is actually benefiting from this? Who is behind the scenes and who's reaping the benefits from your pain, right? And so I wanted to really change that narrative, report about that. When it comes to the gender binary, I was like, why is it that men are so fragile that we can't even use an eye cream? If if we use a, a face wash, we're considered a certain way. And I'm like, that doesn't ring true to me because I grew up watching my Korean dad in the mirror, putting on his creams and his elixirs and his sunscreens. And I always wondered growing up, I was like, why is it that my dad loves skincare so much? What's going on? But I realize now it was his coping mechanism as an immigrant to survive in this world that perhaps didn't see him as belonging. And so it was really important for him for that 10 minutes in the day or 10 minutes at night or five minutes in the day to come to terms with who he is, pump him up for the day, heal from the day, or also before he goes to bed, self-actualize and and self-love and self-care. And that really did allow him to survive. And that allows me to survive too. And that was the ethos behind Good Light. It was all about, you know, understanding that a beauty product has no gender identity. A beauty product is here (laughs) to enhance and empower the person who uses it. And and I hope that we can dismantle, you know, not only the the patriarchy, but the gender binary and the roles that are just, were deliberately created to, to divide us. Aren't they the same thing, patriarchy and gender binary? Let's 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 smash them both. Yes. I laugh yes. every time I yes. walk into. Uh, I, I will I laugh every time I walk into my bathroom and I see my partner. Um, <laughs> he's male, and I I see his little box of like beard treatment, and it says man bar on it. It's it's called man bar, <laughs> and it's and like you've you've got my shelf with my you know twelve step skincare, which was the only thing that kept me sane at the beginning of pandemic. It was like the one self care thing that I could do. Wow. I have a really complicated relationship with makeup, but skincare, I was like I can stay on top of that, and mm-hmm. I can make myself feel good that way. Wow. And I, I always felt bad that he doesn't have. He's got the man bar, <laughs> like that's. That's a shame. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And I almost feel like men's brands have to overcompensate. And it's like, mm-hmm. you are manly. Yeah. You, I saw something at the, at the store the other day. It's like diesel fuel beard oil. And I'm like, what? Why, <laughs> why does this have fuel and gas in it? Why would you want that? And, and I think that it's changing for Gen Z, but by and large yeah. for millennials and Gen Xers and older generations, they hold on to this idea that if they aren't a certain way, then they're being judged. And that's all due to the male gaze, right? So your partner probably doesn't really want to impress other women. He wants to impress other men. He wants to get that validation from his friend to say, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that that's, that's all right. That's cool. That's cool to do. And that's really been obvious and apparent. And we as a society and a culture in the Western world have been so conditioned to really care so much and obsess over the male gaze. And I think it's time to stop. Like we're doing things for ourselves. We're not wearing 
makeup to impress a guy, or I don't need your permission to wear, uh, you know, sunscreen. Uh, I'm doing it for myself. And I think that we need to have these further conversations, but it's just an interesting time right now. I was totally in that headspace at the beginning of pandemic because I came to Virginia, escape with my cat from Brooklyn um, and yes. came to stay with my family. So similar to you, how you stayed with your family, mm-hmm. I'm still here in Virginia with my, and the only people here are my, my dad, my mom, my sister, and our two pets. Um, and so there's no male gaze here. Yeah. There's my dad. So one of the things I realized was like, oh, there's no male gaze here. I actually could sort of figure out what I want to wear. Like, I mean, other than sweatpants, right? And other than workout clothes or whatever, like, what do I like? Because there isn't a gaze here. So and I like texted a couple of friends and they were like, you're happiest in a jumpsuit. And so I, <laughs> I was like, I, love that. <laughs> and I got a bunch of jumpsuits because it was like, what are, what are the things that I put on my body that make me feel good? And I just feel like the lack of that male gaze that you're talking yes. about is so critical because we don't realize how much it affects how we show up in the world every day. Yes. And I feel like- I've this thought is... about men experiencing the male gaze. I think you might mm, be the first yeah. person that I've, I've heard say that. And of course, it makes perfect sense that I'm sitting here feeling kind of like an idiot for not realizing that men go through that too. Well, we can see it very obviously. I used to be a fashion editor. And so I always kind of, in, in menswear, and, and it's been fascinating to see kind of the cultural shifts. But there was a time when men weren't dressing up. They didn't really care because it wasn't accepted in America, at least. But I call it the Kanye West effect. Remember when he, he wore a leather kilt on stage in 2012? And that was a transformative moment because everyone was like, whoa, is he wearing a skirt? Like, is this okay? <laughs> And then Kanye West made it okay for then other hip hop stars to dress up and to dress in luxury. And then that trickled down to the NBA stars, the NFL players who all started dressing up and using the, you know, their runway was their, the bus to the locker room. And Mm -hmm. that became accepted because before that men were like, why are you wearing Chanel or or, are are you gay? Cause you're wearing Louis Vuitton. But now we're seeing these stars. It's like, if you're not in decked out in, in style, then you're not seen in a positive light. And now we're seeing these uh, these male stars front row at every at every you know show at every fashion show, and this has also affected beauty. And I think that it's trickling over to beauty. When Frank Ocean once talked about retinol, I think in 2019. Yeah. It became a trending term because of his article in GQ. Everyone was like, what's retinol? I'm going to, you know, look this up. And it became okay and, and necessary. And now Pharrell has a brand and everyone's like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that it's having that effect, but we can trace that to the male gaze and men need other men's permission to participate in certain things. That is so, so this true. all feels like progress. And I, 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 this happens to me a lot when I'm thinking about how things are, things are moving forward and it's never been this good and it's never been this inclusive and we're having conversations we've never had before. The thing about your book is that it goes into the history of men and masculine presenting people and makeup. And it's like, oh, this, this isn't new, actually. Right. It's not new for men and masculine presenting folk to wear makeup and do the whole beauty thing. We have serious, so I wanted to start with K-Beauty because K-Beauty is the best and it has such an interesting history. Like, can you talk a little bit about who was the first guy to wear eyeliner? Like when, when did it start? How early was it? 
In K-pop or in history? I, I thought it started in Korea, but tell me both. Okay, well, eyeliner is nothing new for, for men. We can trace this back to Neanderthals back in 50,000 BCE. Neanderthals were daubing their faces with blush and foundation and grinding pyrite as highlighter. So it's so crazy because a cis uh, man who is a professor, he discovered this and he's like, they ground up some pyrite for some shimmering effect. And I'm like, that's a highlighter. That is a highlighter <laughs> professor. And it's so interesting because innately that shows that, you know, humans or Neanderthals, you know, we are part of the animal kingdom and we too innately want to be seen and want to be uh, celebrated for our beauty. Look at, you know, peacocks or the male species like frogs or ducks. They all want to beautify because that's how they survive. And, and I think that men have always done that when it comes to eyeliner specifically, we can trace that to pharaohs and pharaohs used these eyeliners because the eyes were the windows to the soul and the eyes had mm -hmm. so much power in their religion. And so if you were royal, then you were wearing an eyeliner. And this is coal mixed with emeralds, mixed with rubies and gold and silver. It was like really bougie eyeliner. But when it comes to K-pop, that really came about, I would say, in the late 1990s from a K-pop band called H.O.T. And H.O.T. started kind of wearing makeup, dabbling into makeup, and then it kind of became this bigger phenomenon around the pretty boys. Uh, but that's not new either, because we can trace that back to the Hwarang of the 600s in Korea. That Hwarang is translated to flower boys, which is translated to pretty boys. And the Hwarang were assassins chosen for their beauty to join this tribe and they used makeup as a spiritual practice. And so they were chosen for their beauty because the king was Buddhist and he believed that Maitreya, who was the most powerful God, he knew and he read in the text that he was a pretty boy. And so he also believed that Maitreya's body and soul was in Korea, the Shilla dynasty, sprinkled into descendants. And so whoever had a beautiful face had remnants of Maitreya's soul. And so that's why he chose only beautiful men to join his army and assassinship because he really believed in that big Buddha energy. Oh my God, you just blew my mind. I love this so much because <laughs> I feel like, you know, if people really knew these parts of history, right, they mm. wouldn't be so quick to judge men wearing makeup or or even make assumptions about men who wear makeup because one of the things i i really love is the gen z's right now and how it's normalized now to see like a, a makeup like i watch makeup tutorials with people of all genders <laughs> um at this point um because the tips are universal because it's we all have faces and we're trying to contour the you know where the cheekbone is there's the universal things um, and to your point uh, about just the idea of the binary being so dumb, I feel like we're getting to a place where, I don't know, I've, I've been thinking about this since this morning, since we were, I was just thinking and talking to somebody about the NFL player who is the first openly right. active player. And I'm like, we've come such a long way. Are we ready? And I'm like, well, he's the, he's still the first. Um, yeah. do, do, so, okay, long rant to get to my question, which is how far do you think we still have to go, right? How many, how, when are we gonna get to a place where more beauty brands are like yours and what you're doing becomes the norm? 
That's really where all of that to get to my question. I I love that question. We uh, have a slogan, beauty beyond the binary, because we believe that beauty transcends. And I really do think that Gen Z is the future. They're the now, and they are creating trends and consumer trends. And we are all paying attention to that generation because of that. But I feel as if we need to start to let go of these gender roles or what we've been conditioned to be. I mean, think about how ridiculous it is, right? Even with color, why is it that pink is for girls and blue is for boys, but originally pink was for boys and blue was for girls. And so it's just a marketing thing, right? If they just switched it recently. And it's the same when it comes to makeup. It's like, when did men stop wearing makeup? Well, it's because of Westernization, colonization, white supremacy that we can trace it back. And in terms of the Western world, we can go back to the enlightenment period when this was the first time that men were like, we need to think, 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 how are we going to get power? Okay, let's publish a skeleton of a woman. And this was very deliberate and very much nefarious because they're like, once we publish a skeleton of a woman, we can prove that women are smaller, have smaller skulls, they're not as capable, they're not as smart. And so that moment changed everything in the late 1700s, the 1800s. Before that, men, women were free to just be who they wanted to be. Then came the world wars where all these nations wanted to colonize countries and ran to stamp their flags on foreign soil. And then that was a Western gaze. It's like, okay, because of our religion, because of what we believe in, now your cultures, many cultures that had non-binary folks and people thriving, like the Hijras of India or the Mahu of Hawaii, they were forced to conform. And then World War I happened. So this hyper-masculinization of men, men were now told you have to be violent. This is how you act. And the women took place of the men in factories behind or in, in places where they worked like manual labor jobs or the post office. And because of that, there's this new propaganda that said, women, if you wanna be patriotic, you must wear makeup. You must be hyper-feminine. And there were many ads from Tanji to Elizabeth Arden that said, if you are not wearing lipstick and they came out with a lipstick that was red called commando red if you're not wearing this then that means you're anti-american and so of course all women started wearing makeup putting their hair up and the pinup girl happened around this point because men abroad they needed fantasy they need a cheerleader and that was the objectification of women which started in world war ii solidified in world war uh one world war ii and then now it's so apparent that this propaganda was so successful that we still adhere to it It's like, this was very deliberate, created by systems and people, and uh, it's time to dismantle it. I used to enjoy makeup. I used to have fun with it. And then Zerlina and I both do a lot of cable news. We, you know, we we talk about politics on on CNN and MSNBC. And I'm sitting in the chair where, where we have to spend 20 to 40 minutes in order to sit next to a guy who has had a powder and that's it. And it's it's re- it's really discriminatory. It's obvious. It's not it's not okay. So I started developing this like I don't want to wear makeup. I don't want to do it. I don't like it. It's not how I feel good in my face. And now I'm realizing that like your liberation is my liberation. And if there was a guy getting a full beat next to me, and I was able to say I want some powder and some mascara, and I like my eyebrows a little bit darker than normal, I would feel great about that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's just yes. because of the prescription that makes me that makes me bristle at the idea I have to do it. Yes, that is so interesting and so fascinating. But, you know, when we think about it, I I, I don't think most people want to think about it because it's too painful or it's too abstruse of a subject. 
that every problem that we have and every issue that we have has a root cause, right? And we can trace it back. I mean, you're talking about beards. Beards were actually very misogynistic in history. So in American history, men in the 1800s, they grew out their beards to differentiate themselves from women. The suffrage movement was becoming more popular and women were no longer just in their households. They were going out and they're like, we need freedom. We need voting rights. So men, men were like, um, well, we are different from you. You do not get the same rights because we're different. We have longer strides, we have bigger bodies, and we can grow beards. And so this beard movement started. And so that's why a lot of presidents had the beards. Before that, everyone was clean shaven. But they started growing out their beards to show women that they are incapable, that they were different. And so it was this moment in time. And still now, I think about beards. I'm like, oh my gosh, this beard culture, it has a misogynistic history. It's just very interesting that every single thing in the history of beauty has kind of a political beginning. Well, I am a firm believer that beauty and fashion are political. Like yes. it's all, it's all political. Um, yes. And once you get that, it becomes more interesting. People are like, why are you talking about makeup? Cause it's political. Yes, uh-huh. exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I want to audit your class. Like I, Me too. I, want, <laughs> I want you to have a, a lecture series where you explain this stuff to people. I, so this has been the most interesting 20 minutes mm-hmm. that yes. we've had in a long time. Really? I, yeah, I wonder if, seriously. Yes. I wonder if it's, it's just interesting to, to us and maybe not to other, because you both are amazing, incredible journalists, but yeah, I mean, I guess since I've been researching this so much, I'm in the weeds. I'm like, is this interesting to anyone else? Oh my God. Mm. Yes. Nobody, no people don't know this. If people just learn that what, about Tulsa or Juneteenth, they don't know. know this. Okay. You know? okay. They that don't is- know this. Yes, that is very, very true. That is very, very true. But please, yes, audit my class. Let's let's create a class about beauty and the binary. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That'll be a hit. So how are you celebrating pride this year? I'm celebrating it's, pride it's... by being in community. I mean, virtually, because we're still not, you know, out because of the pandemic. And just understanding how far we've come as a community but how much more we have to go, right? There are still people being murdered for being who they are. Um, queer people still don't have rights around the country in many places. And, and I think that we need to stand next to our non-binary family because it's so new to the American lexicon and people believe that being non-binary is something that's made up or you just wake up and you're like, I wanna be non-binary. But that's not true because, like I said, the history of the world, we have so many people like the Fafafine in Samoa or the Two-Spirit people, the indigenous folks of Native America who have thrived in their cultures for centuries. And I think that um, with our non-binary friends and family members, I I hope that we can show support and say that we see you and we we know you, we acknowledge you um, because I think there's so much resistance and people are kind of poking fun at folks who come out like Demi Lovato came out as non-binary and they are very much proud of who they are, but they're getting backlash from people saying that they just wanted to be disenfranchised or they wanted to be a part of some minority group. And to me, it's just so disheartening when I hear these things, but it goes back to history. These people just don't know. So they need to read and dig and understand that non-binary people thrived and are among us. And, and I'm celebrating by reading into my history and communicating and hopefully being able to change perceptions. 
I mean, I'm it. sure you've already done that and you will do more. <laughs> the book is Pretty Boys. I'll say it again. Pretty Boys, Legendary Icons Who Redefined Beauty and How to Blow Up Too. Obviously, we're highly recommending it. David Yee, thank you so much for this and uh, and everything else you've done. Well, thank you both so much. Huge fan and happy pride. Yes, happy pride. Thank you so much. We'll be back tomorrow with another Signal Boost podcast. Thanks for listening.